Yo, what's up, y'all? This your boy Wyclef Jean. I'm chilling. Yeah, we in the house on WMNF Tampa. Let's go. If you've been saving up for a rainy day to get a new car, the rainy season is coming. So if you're in need of a more reliable ride to get you through the wet road safely, donate your old one to WMNF. We accept used cars, trucks, and even RV donations, running or not. Donating is easy. Learn more at WMNFcar.org. The opinions presented on the Healthy Steps show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Hello out there, my dear friends, and thank you for keeping your radio tuned to WMNF Tampa. And definitely welcome to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey. Today he's going to elucidate on the current state of affairs of the other global pandemic, HIV. You're invited to participate in this discussion or if you have any related medical questions by calling 813-239-9663 or sending an email to dj at wmnf.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. Good morning, Dr. Fred. We're wrapping on up Pride Month, and as you pointed out earlier, today is National HIV Testing Day, first observed on June 27, 1995. HIV is definitely a global pandemic. Since it was first recognized back in 1981, over 36 million people have died, and currently some 37 million people are affected. That sort of makes COVID look like a B-grade actor. What should our listeners know? Thank you for that intro, Bill, and you're right on it. This is a pandemic that is rolling on. You know, we've lost about 6 million, 7 million from uh, coronavirus in two years and 36 million from HIV in 40 years, practically. Um, we're looking at um, some uh, um, continued problems, but uh, getting ahead of the curve, I think. Um, really, uh, new cases are down. Um I just wanted to uh, take a break, though, and say that I am really appreciating all, all of my listeners, and I am so glad you like this show. Um, we exceeded our goal for the fun drive, and well, that, congratulations. Leaves a little, that leaves a little extra for some of the other shows. And I really thank you for your support and um, uh, would uh, suggest that anytime you think about it, you can hit the tip jar because all the rest of the station needs help all the time, too. This is a great place to be. Thank you for being in our family. Um, much of the statistics that I'm going to talk about today and some of the information comes from a couple of different major sites, um, UnitedNationsAIDS.org, um, the World Health Organization, the CDC, and uh, the UN uh, Women site because there's an issue there. So what is HIV? HIV stands for Human Immunodeficiency Virus. It was first known as HTLV3, human T lymphocyte virus number three. There are several of these things that go around. They cause things like lymphoma and leukemia. This one actually impairs the immune system. It's a virus that can only infect humans, and it really devastates the immune system. And the immune system is the body's system that we use for fighting disease, infectious diseases, and for um, reacting to foreign substances. When it's compromised or weakened, a person becomes what's known as immunodeficient. In other words, not enough 
immunoenergy to do the job. And that means you're vulnerable to all kinds of bacteria, viruses, and other agents that cause diseases like fungi. The acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, AIDS, AIDS, is a consequence of this infection. Um, left untreated, the virus erodes the population of white blood cells called the T helper cells. That makes um, uh, a pretty good description that the, the T cells, T lymphocytes that help the system fight disease. So without that army of helpers, uh, we're left susceptible to infections. So HIV spread is very simple. It requires contact. Um, and it requires contact with human body fluids. It's carried in semen, vaginal fluids, anal mucus, blood, and even breast milk. Most people who get HIV get it through anal or vaginal sex or sharing needles and syringes. And you can get HIV from having vaginal or anal sex, sharing needles, syringes, for shooting drugs, piercings, tattoos, unclean parlors, or, or doing it on your own is a very dangerous way to do it. Getting stuck with a needle that has HIV infected blood on it. That's where that happens. Um, or getting infected HIV blood in a transfusion, which almost never happens. That happened originally when we didn't know how to screen for it. Um, but it's the blood supply is really clean now because, um, of the techniques they use. Um, it can be transmitted through semen, vaginal fluids, and into open cuts and sores in your body. Oral transmission doesn't usually occur unless there's lesions in the mouth, like infected teeth or other problems. So you have to work at getting it actually, in general. And, and there's lots of ways to prevent it. And I think you can probably think of some of them already. What are the signs and symptoms of HIV or AIDS? You know, it, it can be really years before it becomes fully symptomatic like AIDS, and it would be usually. Um, but that's why it's so important to know your HIV status. Know your status is the campaign, and there are many places around the area, and I've posted some um, uh, links to different places you can look. I'll talk about them later, but know your status. Initial HIV infection is kind of like the flu. Chills, fever, fatigue, mouth sores, muscle aches, night sweats, swollen lymph nodes. Um, these things can happen in lots of different infections. And they usually are time limited. A week or so, two weeks of illness, and it's gone. However, some people actually continue on directly to um, having the immune system deteriorate. And they will actually have um, um, changes in um the fatigue will continue to last. Um, fevers might continue, but usually they go away. Um, swollen lymph nodes generally will not go away for a while. Um, during that acute infectious time, there's a lot of virus in the system. It's reproducing, it's spreading, and so it's really easy to spread HIV at that point to other people. It can be then years before you actually start to develop any other symptoms. It can still spread, even though it's not um, um, causing the acute syndrome, it can still spread during these years. Um, women experience a couple extra symptoms than men. They might see changes in the menstrual cycle, heavier or lighter periods, bad PMS, belly pain, um, pelvic inflammatory disease is a problem, um, uh, uh, along with um, other uh, sexually uh, transmitted infections like chlamydia, which can occur um, uh, when not using um, protection as you should to prevent HIV.
pain during sex, and vaginal yeast infections. In fact, vaginal yeast infections is really important. Recurrent vaginal yeast infections should not occur in a healthy woman. And so if recurrent, I mean, you know, every month you get another vaginal yeast infection, it's worth it to get checked. It's worth it to get checked even if you're not having them. But my first diagnosis of HIV in 1989 was a young woman who was in my general internal medicine practice and she had three vaginal yeast infections in the course of one spring. And um, she actually went to a gynecologist who at that point refused to see her because he tested her and she was positive for HIV. Um, that's when a lot of discrimination was occurring around it, even in educated people like doctors. So Bill mentioned the statistics currently we have 37 almost 38 million people living globally with hiv that was in 2020 um and it's really heartening to know that about 28 million were actually accessing antiretroviral therapy um there were 1.5 million that were newly infected just in 2020 and about uh, 680,000 somewhere in the range, so three quarters of a million practically died of AIDS-related illnesses in 2020. And so overall, almost 80 million people have been inf infected. 53% of all people living with HIV are women and girls. Um, and the highest rate is for persons in the 25 to 34 age group um the and it's really gay men and men who have sex with men bisexual men um these are the highest rates and um this is the invincible years where people don't believe that they can die from anything and so they do stupid things um followed uh by that is 35 to 44 starting to get a little bit smarter a little uh, more uh settled down in life maybe but yes there's still uh, a high prevalence there and unfortunately, in the states where we have the lowest health care, uh, um, the lowest public health care uh, in the South, we have the highest rates of HIV. Georgia uh, last year was number one. Florida was actually beating it the year before. But um, the uh, amount of HIV uh, uh, locally is pretty impressive, actually. Um, let's see. Florida was at 23, almost 24 per 100,000 people. Georgia is at 28 per 100,000. Um, Texas was at 18. Louisiana at 23 per 100,000. But Pennsylvania is at 9. Um, New Hampshire is at 2.6. So you can see there's a huge, huge discrepancy here um, between different states. And so public health really matters. Education really matters. Access really matters, and so does stigma. Um, according to the Florida Department of Health, between 2014 and 2016, new HIV diagnoses in Florida rose by 8%. It's only been going up a, a percent or two in, in other states. Um, but Hillsborough County had the largest increase at 63%, and Pinellas County at 32%. There's a big problem in these areas, and that is... Um, Unfortunately, there's a thing called being on the down low, and there's a stigma about homosexuality in the black community, and men won't talk about it, but they'll do it, and then they'll have sex with women too. And 
Hispanic and black women have one of the highest rates of rise in HIV cases. And uh, kids, uh, people in their 20s had a in Florida had a 20% increase between 2007 and 2016, 28% in Pinellas and Pasco, 23% in Hillsborough in that age group. So we really have a huge problem. Black and Hispanic communities disproportionately affected Latinos were 34% of new HIV diagnosis in Florida in 2018. Those are some astonishing and tragic uh, statistics you've just given on out there, Dr. Fred. And I'm going to take this opportunity to tell folks that they're listening to the Healthy Steps radio show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. And you can participate by calling 813-239-9663 or sending an email to dj at wmnf.org. And you can also text us at 813-433-0885. And going back to what Dr. Fred was talking about at the top of the show, about supporting WMNF and the Healthy Steps Radio Show, if you're enjoying this show and you want to show your support, look deep into your heart and then go to our website, wmnf.org, and click on the tip jar at the top of the screen. And be sure to direct your donation to HAN for Healthy Steps Radio Show. And we do Definitely appreciate y'all's support. Back to you, Dr. Harvey. Thank you, Bill. There is some good news. That was really some depressing statistics, but um, we really have turned it around. AIDS-related deaths have been reduced by 64% since its peak in 2004, another 47% since 2010. Um, and so we're making progress here. People getting on therapy is actually making an impact. People on therapy when their HIV viral load levels are not detectable. In other words, the medicine's working and the virus is not reproducing, they can't transmit. Um, and so when completely covered by uh, antiretroviral therapies, we're seeing a really great um, uh, drop. And, and it's uh, dropped 53% among women and girls um, uh, in, in, since 2010. So that's, that's really good. And um, people... Um, uh, oh, I just want to mention that uh, people with HIV, and there's some evidence out there that with COVID-19, um, HIV is actually more difficult and, and have uh, uh, HIV patients have more severe outcomes and higher comorbidities. Um, and um, um, in Africa, where, where there wasn't access to vaccines, uh, uh, there's also not access uh, as well to some of the HIV meds in some of the countries. There's some really good um, uh, uh, coverage um, in, in Africa, um, but Sub-Saharan Africa is, is home to two-thirds of people living with HIV. And, and so um, it's got some of the highest risk. Um, but in general, I believe that um, uh, what we're seeing is, is a skewed data here because they're not separating out people that are on therapy versus those that are not on therapy. It's just the whole group of HIV. And there's a lot of people who aren't getting therapy. And so they are at really high risk for, um, HIV problems, um, or actually the, the co-infections and things that go along as a complication of the damaged immune system. So, um, I think it's really important for anybody who has HIV to know it. So again, know your status and then seek out treatment because treatment will reduce the severity of all the co-infections. I believe we have a caller. 
We do. We've got George from Ebor City, but I'm going to say to folks that, yes, you too can participate in this show by calling 813-239-9663. And let's go to George and hear what he has to say. Good morning, George. Hi. Hello, I George. Two que- Hello? Hello. I, I have two questions. Um, yes. One, one is of the... 50,000 new HIV cases every year or whatever that number is. The Those people that are um, doing that are not your regular uh, persons. Those are people that don't want to know their status and don't go get tested. I don't be? think you can. I don't think you can make a generalization like that. How do you know what these people think and who they are? I think that's not possible to um, even consider. It's that's just fiction. Oh, okay. Well, no, that's my question. Is it possible to make to 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 who who is that? I mean, that's fifty thousand every year. Shouldn't we find that out? Shouldn't we not be saying I have no idea? No, we do have ideas. We know that um, men who have sex with men unprotected are actually the highest risk group. Men who have sex with men and women who don't tell the women uh, increase the risk group risk in that group. People who share needles. Um, and so um, um, and, and uh, heterosexual people who actually have sex without protection are also transmitting it. Um, and bisexual people. So what it boils down to is people who have um, um, promiscuous sex without uh, protection are actually transmitting the illness. That's the primary group. Well, that brings up the question then, Do how many of them know their status or don't want to know their status, and why, aren't, why isn't there more testing? Well, actually, there's a lot of testing, and a lot of people do know, and um, they suspect that about, I believe, it's two-thirds of people who actually have it are diagnosed in America. I don't know about the rest of the world because we don't have uh, the same kind of access to testing and things like in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, many of those countries are just so impoverished, they don't have any kind of services. So I think it's a really great question you're asking, and I think that public health needs to be answering that, but I have not seen that data specifically. And those are the kind of questions we need to ask about everything, um, especially things like coronavirus. We have way too many generalized statements about who's affected or what's being happening with, with yeah. coronavirus. And so we really need to, and we have the ability to do this with AI and with good questions. We just need to actually fund it and, and pay attention to important things like this rather than wasting our time buying more and more arms to kill people all around the globe. Well, speaking of testing, speaking of arms, I was in the military for 40 years, since age 19, and I just yes. retired 40 years, my whole entire life, and I was forced to get a blood test every single year, whether I wanted to or not. And, and I look out at civilian society, and they're all whining and moaning about a test and how it's their liberty and it's their right not to be tested. And number one, why wouldn't you want to be tested? And that makes no sense that... Why are you afraid of tests? Why doesn't everybody want to be tested? In, in the 80s, when we had that, um, when the AIDS came out, shouldn't they have just said, point blank, let's do like the military, test everybody? If we would have done that, don't you think we would have, you know, cut it in half in the 80s at the get-go? No, neither side talked about testing everybody. What's well, the, if we had... Fear of it, testing? It, 
well, many things. If we had, if we had a, a decent public health system, which we don't, um, that would be a, a first step. A second thing is fear. Fear blocks a lot of decisions. The, what people fear is the stigma. We still have a stigma about homosexuality. If you hadn't noticed, it's still bad. No matter what you want to say about it, there's still a lot of uh, people out there that really denigrate, um, sexual behaviors that don't agree with their own. And that makes it very difficult. And the stigma alone of having a positive HIV test and the fact that there's not really great um, uh, uh, public education because of the stigma, we have a lot of people that don't want to know because they think they might die. They think they'll be ostracized by family and, and friends and work. And they very well may be because we still have a stigma. And so I understand their fear and I understand that our society needs to actually open arms and start shining some love on reality because guns aren't going to change this. <laughs> and that's really about all we talk about these days. <laughs> are you familiar with how the military has handled the AIDS crisis? Because the, in the military, every, the reason I got checked every year since for 40 years in the military, they cannot afford to have the blood pool poisoned because every soldier is a potential donor. So what? Right. I'm not sure if you're familiar with how they do it. They got a handle on it real quickly. Well, that's they, because they have they control over you. You have no choice whatsoever. And every yeah. human in America, yeah. except if you're in the military, has a choice. And there is an issue with public health. Um, we well, have to use education to convince people to do things, not create mandates that force them to because that sounds a bit like Nazi Germany. Well, the, the military is not a, um, it's not a fun, it's not a freedom, it's not democracy. But I just want to take right. a look at what they did. Let's take a look at what they did. Well, well I know what they, they did, and they had complete everybody. control. And they had complete yeah. control of you, and, yeah. and society doesn't work like that. And, but we have to actually use education to convince people to do it, and we're not doing a very good job of that. That's the problem. And we still but attach you know way too do? much stigma to it. But you know what they do when you get tested positive? They don't shun you like civilians do. They put you in a special group. They give you counseling. They, they take care of you because you're- I understand. The the Army and the VA have some good programs that really are about public health, but that doesn't apply to the general public, and it's really hard to extend that. I don't have the answers for that, but I do have another caller, and I really appreciate I, your I know, conversation. I'm just griping because I had to do it for 40 years. That's I understand, <laughs> and it's a, it's a good thing that they did test you. I think it makes so much sense. Everybody should yeah. be tested. It, yeah. The same thing for hepatitis C, and you can get your hepatitis C test and your hepatitis B test and your uh, HIV test all at the same place, and I believe many of the places are free. Simply in the military, simply knowing what your height and your weight and your dental status is every year has saved billions of dollars. If the civilian system did that, we would save trillions. Well, we don't have a system. We have a marketplace for profit on suffering. We don't have a healthcare yeah. system. Let's get one. That'd you're be right. great. You're, you're right. You're right. All right. I'll let you take the next caller. Thanks, George. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much, George. Uh, we've got Charles from Winter Haven on the line now. Good morning, Charles. Uh, good morning. Um, I would like to invite you to take a look at the uh, RFK Jr. book, uh, The Real Anthony Fauci. And in, in that text, uh, he devotes quite a bit of effort to the business of, uh, of um, what you're talking about, HIV, yes. as being a precedent or uh, not a precedent for 
uh, AIDS. Now, you haven't really gone into that that much, but uh, if if I read his book correctly, and and I would I would uh, invite you to to look at look at what I'm going to tell you about, and then if you would be so kind, maybe respond next week with either shoot down or corroboration or whatever. Uh, if I read him correctly, and I wish I had the book in front of me, he states that uh, there are two guys, uh, Rudolf Nureyev, uh, the, the famous dancer, yes. and also, um, what's his name, uh, Ash, the tennis player. Yes, Arthur Ash. Yes, and, and they were... Uh, they they chose or they chose to take the AZT, and uh, the way I read the Kennedy book, that's what the problem was. That's what uh, could possibly cause their demise, and that they were perfect. If I read him correctly, I remember saying they were uh, Nureyev was was very healthy until except he, that he had HIV. Right now, however. And, and then he he quotes some maverick doctors uh, who you know would be good to take a look at. Uh, and you know he's got bibliography in the back, but I didn't go into that. But the thing is, you have you have talked about all these uh, <coughs> uh, th- things that can happen to somebody on HIV that he does not mention in his text. So that's uh, it. Would be interesting. Uh, even though we might not be talking about the same thing, if you could take a look at it and 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 uh, opine uh, next week what you think. Well, I can even opine today, Charles, because um, I know about RFK. <clears throat> I think he actually is doing some good work regarding a vir- uh, a vaccine awareness and um, this whole situation. However, um, I believe there was a lot of weird thinking about HIV when it came out, and there continues to be. Um, we know what HIV does. We know that it damages T cells, and we know that it works differently in different people. Um, and certain people have even a, an impossibility of having the infection because they have a genetic misstep called CCR5 delta 32, where I, the CCR5 protein has a change at the 32 amino acid, which makes it a different protein and is no longer a way for the HIV to attach and enter the cell. And so some people might have half um, um, active and half inactive uh, 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 Delta 32 because you get two genes that code for that. So there's different variances in in the way people actually have the penetration of the virus into the body. They also have different nutritional statuses. And I would think that a a wealthy peak performance athlete like Nuryev had good um, health to begin with. Uh, he wasn't a drug user. He wasn't malnourished. And those people actually do worse. Um, the ones that actually are malnourished, um, you know, somebody who's using IV drugs is generally not going to be as good a health as somebody who is a peak performance athlete. And so they will have a different course of the disease. I have seen people who were healthy, living a really good lifestyle and have had within a couple of months had their T-cell count go down to um, uh, impossible and they had to be on treatment. Early treatment actually maintains the T-cell count much better and early treatment is a really good thing. Robert Kennedy's theories that are not medical are just theories and they're more hypotheses than theories. They have no real evidence. They're just thoughts. Um, There's been a lot of thought that HIV doesn't cause 
AIDS and that other things do, but we've never found any evidence for that. And AZT was an, a last resort. It was something that was already present, uh, azathioprine. It was um, a chemotherapy drug, and they found that it actually interfered with the metabolism of the HIV virus. And so the AZT was extremely toxic, and it did actually kill a bunch of people that they treated HIV with. However, it saved people as well. And that was the risk-benefit ratio that we had with using AZT. It wasn't intended to kill people. It was intended to try and save them from this virus because it was an anti-metabolite for the virus. And so I don't believe these hypotheses that somebody was actually cooking this up to kill people. I believe that they were trying to help. And because I believe in the inherent good nature of humans, we aren't evil. We are, our purpose isn't to be cannibals. Our purpose is to help each other. I hope well, that answers your question, Charles. Hey, I appreciate you you're going at it. Uh, however, you certainly stimulated me to go back and, and uh, look into it and maybe go into his uh, a, a bibliography some. Yes, I would do. That. I would do saying, some reading. What you're saying, he he could have. Uh, written more, talked more about um, the uh, ills of HIV rather than just staying focused on the connection, that, as he saw it, between uh, HIV and uh, the therapy of that time. Of yes, HIV. yes. Um, RFK really does find things, but he wants to find a, a demon in every pharmaceutical, it seems. Um, when there's a mixed bag. I mean, really, we do know that there's always a risk and a benefit for every intervention we do. And the risk of not taking AZT was death. The risk of taking AZT was possible life or death. So you upgraded from definitely dying to possibly not dying. And I think well, that was a better choice. I'll just leave, leave, leave you with this thought. Perhaps there, uh, even at that time, were better uh, antivirals, one thing or another, um, that uh, may have gotten pushed under the table. There, there may have been, but um, I that I don't talk, know of. I can't of. talk to it myself because yeah. I'm not knowledgeable. But I'm saying I would, you know, all you all you can do is just ask the questions. Can't make it exactly. No, great question, Charles. Yeah, um, okay. and I have another caller on the line. All thank right, you thank for your you input. So much. You have a good day. You too. Thanks for those thoughts, Charles. And uh, let's see what Angela has to say. Good morning. Oh, oops! Did we lose her? We lost her. Well, while we're waiting for her to come back on, I can talk a little bit about the women's problem. Women have some extra factors that fuel HIV incidence. Violence against women and girls increases their risk of acquiring it. And um, uh, um, controlling behavior um, and intimate partner violence was definitely a, a high um, incidence. Um, up to 45% um, of adolescent girls um, with HIV report that their first sexual experience was forced. And um, more than 700 million women alive today were married before their 18th birthday, and they have limited access to prevention information and limited power to protect themselves. Three of every 10 adolescent girls uh, or young women aged 15 to 24 have comprehensive and accurate knowledge of HIV. 30%. They are being deprived of information in many of these cultures due to poverty and due to um, um, cultural barriers to women actually being considered valid humans. 
um, women are living with HIV and are they're more likely to experience violence, including more violations of their sexual and reproductive rights. Um, and women's access to property inheritance rights can be critical in preventing HIV. But if a woman is known to have HIV, she may not actually go for her property rights. There are lots of legal barriers to women actually um, getting care for, and there are discriminatory criminalization laws linked to HIV that are worse for women. So women are really under the gun here, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, where 67% of current HIV infections uh, are people infected with it are residing. Was Angela able to call back in? Um, no, not at this moment. So I've All got right. nothing on the phones, and I'll encourage folks to call on in. Dial 813-239-9663 and send your emails to dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Back to you. So I think I should again mention testing, testing places we can go. Um, it's been in the news a lot recently because of the recent uh, Supreme Court decision. Uh, Planned Parenthood offers testing. Metro Health in the Bay Area offers testing. And uh, so does Epic Health. So does the Community AIDS Network. There's a um, um, location in um, uh, Pinellas, in, in Hillsborough, and in Sarasota. And I believe there's uh, Manatee. And also you can um, uh, look up safer STD testing. Just Google safer STD testing and it's actually saferstdtesting.com. Um, and they have free STD testing and they give you uh, links to many different sites, Quest Labs and all kinds of different places where you can go and find testing. So there's no reason not to get tested and there's lots of places to get free testing. But really my favorite cure is called prevention. Because then you don't have to worry about significant cures. Um, and the best prevention is abstention from unprotected intercourse. And condoms work. They're underutilized. I think we noticed that because a lot of people tend to seek abortion as a method of birth control when condoms would suffice. Um, there's also this medication if we want to dive into doing medication, pre-exposure prophylaxis is um, is uh, abbreviated as PrEP, P-R-E-P. And PrEP is taking one pill of an antiretroviral medication on a daily basis to prevent retrovirus infection. So HIV is a retrovirus and it is blocked by certain medications that are relatively safe but they're not recommended for everybody. So really for people that have high risk sexual behaviors, they're the ones that really should be looking at using PrEP. Everybody else should either abstain or use condoms because PrEP is not without adverse consequence. Everything has a risk and a benefit. And one of the medications used for PrEP may cause some kidney problems. And we want to avoid kidney problems. So we want to avoid PrEP if we don't really need it. We shouldn't be taking something, some medication we don't need. But... Um, if we do get ill, treatment is a reality and it's very available and it is actually available for people who have no funds. 
the Ryan White programs, make sure that people who have no money can access HIV antiretroviral therapies. And so um, there's, there's no reason to not test because unlike in the late 80s, early 90s, people are not really dying from this if they get treated. And the treatment is not as onerous as it once was. Once they discovered a couple of other medications and added it to the AZT, people are on crazy drug regimens, having to take like three different drugs and having to get up in the middle of the night because you had to take them every two to three hours or they would lose their efficacy and the virus would begin replicating again. But now, um, many of the medications have been narrowed down to one pill a day maybe two pills a day. And it depends on which virus you've got. So an interesting thing to know about this virus is it is an RNA virus like the beta coronavirus is an RNA virus. These RNA viruses actually have a much easier time of um, creating many variants. And the variants um, are like the coronavirus variants. And so we just keep creating um, more and more um, um, variants of the HIV virus. And so we need different treatment regimens because um, the um, virus becomes resistant to certain drug regimens. And, and resistance occurs when people miss doses. So another important point about going on antiretroviral therapy is to not miss doses. You want to take doses every day because if you give the virus a chance to replicate, it may become resistant to the drug you're on and then you would need to change therapies. And if you're fortunate enough to be on a one drug therapy or a one pill therapy, you might end up on a two or three pill therapy because the new variant that you've selected out is actually harder to treat. This occurs more frequently when people are promiscuous. Um, so, um, the different variants that are available in the population, um, may actually result in second infections with HIV if you're not actually using protection and having still promiscuous sex with other people that might have HIV. I got a, um, uh, email question. Uh, what is PrEP? Can I talk a little bit more about that? Well, uh, PrEP again is pre-exposure prophylaxis, meaning that you take this pill before you get exposed so that if you decide to have unprotected sex, you can actually be a little bit safer about it. PrEP will reduce the likelihood of getting infected significantly. It's not perfect though. You can always skip a PrEP pill. You may be out partying on the weekend and forgot to take one or two of them and you may end up with HIV infection. And so nothing's perfect. Condoms are actually a really important tool here too. If a person with HIV is on treatment and their count is undetectable and a partner is on PrEP, the chances of, of transmission of HIV go down to about 0.9%. But it's still there. You can still get it. So again, you have to remember, nothing's perfect and there are risks for doing anything we do. So it's still better to not take a pill and to use condoms or abstain because those are, those are the absolute best methods. Um, I hope that explains PrEP a bit better.
Um, I have another one. Um, could I talk about um, studies that showed chiropractic adjustments increase production of T cells? I could, but actually I don't know about those studies. That's a really interesting concept, but it would fit in with my perception and understanding of how our immune system works. Our immune system is part of our body, which is always in, in contact with all of the environment. As I've talked about numerous times, we have um, you know, many layers of things that go into keeping the body running well. So anything that would help the body run better is going to help all parts of the body generally. And so if we get a chiropractic adjustment that helps the um, uh, take pressure off of the uh, spinal nerve communication with the rest of the body, you're going to increase communication. Communication uh, improvements always help the immune system function more smoothly. And that goes with, as I was mentioning before, the difference in malnourished and nourished people. Nutrition is highly important. You can do many things to support the system to both keep it intact so you don't get IV, HIV, but also with HIV to support it to make sure it works well. The problem with um, just nutrition is that it's not going to actually stop the virus replication. And I have yet to see any good articles that showed me any specific herbs that will interfere with the virus enough to prevent it, um, prevent it from doing what it does to the T cells, reducing them and causing HIV. There may be things and it may be multiple programs, kind of like what we use for um, reversing dementia. There are so many different areas of concern, including inflammation and toxicity and vascular function and nutrition that um, it will be useful. But I did post an article about natural therapies and it's a really good article and it's very balanced, but basically it says we haven't found anything yet. So if you are diagnosed positive, you want to be on antiretroviral therapy because that will increase your longevity and improve the quality of your life. I think we have a I, caller back. I was going to say, we got Angela back, and I apologize to her for the inconvenience, and I applaud her for her patience. Welcome back, Angela. Hi, good morning, guys. Good morning. I have one question. Um you have all these different viruses that attack for um, HIV. What is one of the major causes for MS, which no one seems to address? Is that related in some way? Because it is a, a virus that attacks the immune system, and no one speaks about it. Well, that's a really um, um, good question about that, um, but it's slightly different. In, in multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis is actually an autoimmune condition in which the body is actually attacking the nervous system. And there are um, several theories, but no um, uh, definitive answer yet on what actually triggers it. But there seems to be several things that are operative. Um, viral infections can set you up for the multiple sclerosis. So um, a, an infection with Epstein-Barr virus, which affects the lymphocytes, which are um, key in um, the activity of multiple sclerosis. That's one possibility, but there's no direct causality. It does seem to be present in many people with it. Um, uh, vitamin D is very important for controlling um, multiple sclerosis, and that may be because it's actually very supportive to lymphocytes and also inhibitory to some viruses. There's some evidence that possibly 
uh, herpes virus has something to do with it. And then we, we have also seen that the gluten can trigger flares in MS. So um, I think that uh, an autoimmune disease and what we look how, how we look at autoimmune diseases in functional medicine is that there are many triggers for the immune system. If we can reduce as many of those triggers, we will have less activity of the disease and we may even control it and get it turned back. Okay. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Bye. Bye. We're looking at the last 10 minutes of the show, so I'm going to give the announcement of y'all are listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. And you're invited to participate by calling 813-239-9663 or sending your emails to dj at wmnf.org. And you can also text us at 433-0885. And we're looking forward to your participation. Back to you, Dr. Harvey. Thank you. So my clinical experience uh, with HIV is that um, initially, um, back in the late 80s, um, it was a little frightening. Uh, we didn't really know what to do about it. Kind of like the first couple weeks of coronavirus until we figured out what was going on. Um, it took a couple of years to figure out HIV because it was such a stealthy um, virus. I remember um, when I was in medical school, actually, I was getting the CDC's Morbidity on Mortality Weekly Report, a little magazine that comes out once a week from the CDC telling us what's going on in our nation. And I was on a monthly basis, approximately, it wasn't weekly at that point, getting a new thing that was kind of concerning. And it was mainly in the gay populations of the big cities. Um, I saw that uh, a cancer called Kaposi's sarcoma was um, showing up in a, in a group of gay men in San Francisco. And then in Los Angeles, um, there was an epidemic of something called pneumocystis carinii pneumonia. It's a weird little bug that lives in pigeon poop. And humans don't generally get infected by it, but all these gay men were getting infected by it. And then we um, um, started seeing gay men dying in, in New York and uh, in Philadelphia. And I was in Philadelphia at the time, and Philly was, I think, the third largest. Remember the movie um, Philadelphia with um, Tom Hanks? Um, I was just reading an article about him. Uh, he said he could never play that role today. A straight man playing a gay man role? I don't think. He, he doesn't think so either. But it was so well done. Um, and him being a very uh, well-known actor already at the time, it, it really helped to um, help people actually um, um, feel more comfortable with the concept um, was uh, one thing that came out of that. Um, people were able to talk about it more easily. It was a very well done movie. If you haven't seen Philadelphia, um, and it, it was it was very well done, and it's 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 worth watching to show you about human compassion, and also the ugly side of of human nature when it comes to uh, access to healthcare and respect um, for someone that you don't understand what their disease is. Because if you remember, um, lepers um, were ostracized. Lepers were cast out. Jesus went to visit with the lepers because nobody else would. And HIV has been a leper-style disease. And <clears throat> it's really a, um, a difficult fact to reconcile in, in a nation that's so professed spiritually right. 
and and it just it was so distressing to see. But our evolution of of way the way we look at it <clears throat> is so much different. Now we have presidential initiatives to um, help. Um, there's a massive global push from uh, uh, the current president uh, trying to get more HIV help. Um, but if you remember, Ronald Reagan was uh, evil, flat out evil about it. He ignored it. He denigrated people with it. He said it was deserved. What a way to ostracize a subgroup. What a way to separate out someone you can hate. I don't think hate is part of the repertoire when it comes to public health, but our President Reagan showed us that it could be. Huh, there's an email question. How does one get rosacea and what can I get do to get rid of it? Well, that's an interesting question associated here. Um, there's actually something that occurs with HIV and it's not rosacea. Um, it's seborrhea. Um, some of the um, original HIV drugs, I think AZT, um, cause some and one of the medications used to treat um, the pneumocystis carinii pneumonia, uh, a sulfa drug um, caused it. So sulfa drugs actually might cause a red scaly rash around the nose and, and, and lips and even on the scalp, which is um, um, not rosacea, but um, seborrheic dermatitis. And um, so this is one uh, of the uh, adverse consequences of getting HIV. Um, one does not usually get rosacea from HIV, and rosacea is usually due to um, uh, a disruption in the gastrointestinal microbiome. And so fixing your diet is one of the first things you can do to work on fixing rosacea. Getting rid of dairy fat may be a good place to start. Um, Margaret, who asked about chiropractic, um, actually sent a nice little article that says that um, um, you can um, increase IL-2, um, an anti-inflammatory marker in the blood by doing some adjustments. And um, another study suggests that um, in HIV population, um, CD4 counts may improve with chiropractic adjustments. A 48% increase in CD4 accounts who got regular chiropractic adjustments versus um, an 8% decrease in those who did not. Um, that's fascinating. I like it. I like chiropractic. Um, adjustments feel good. They make me function better. And um, so, yeah, I fully support someone getting regular chiropractic to help them stay healthy. Are we having any callers at the moment? Um, the light just came on as you were speaking, and I've got nobody at this absolute moment, so I'll take my two, sec two cents worth while we wait for that call to come through. And earlier, between the, before the show, I had played a song by Leonard Cohen called Ain't No Cure for Love, and the story behind that was <clears throat> he was talking with another singer, Jennifer Warren, in 1987, and the question came on up about why folks would risk getting HIV when they knew there was no cure for it. And Leonard's reply was, there ain't no cure for love. That is so true. Um, we really, um, you know, everybody needs physical contact. And um, what proceeds from there is uh, quite often not controlled. And so um, if we could just think about it, um, there is one little piece of latex that could protect a lot of people from the need for an abortion and 
treatment for a sexually transmitted disease. All right, and I do have Susan on the line here for us, the last call for the day. Good morning, Susan. Hi, um, I wanted to ask Dr. Harvey, I believe it's a question that would be more related to the show that was last week, but I, I was late. Um, I want to know if taking high doses of alpha-lipoic acid would be good for the brain, and also uh, lion's mane, I, I think it's good for focusing. Could he address that, please? Um, yeah, Susan, those are actually um, uh, two substances which are really very good for supporting your um, brain health. Um, uh, there's good evidence uh, in the literature about lion's mane and alpha lipoic acid is a fat soluble antioxidant that helps with the liver, the brain, the vascular system. Um, and it does uh, in doses of 1200 or 1800 milligrams a day, it's been shown in studies to reverse peripheral neuropathy. So it should have an impact on the brain as well. There are no single remedies though that can turn back dementia or fix neurodegenerative disease. All right, and I was uh, referring, I have multiple sclerosis and I think it would be helpful in that. Do you, could you address that? Well, uh, any neurodegenerative disease is actually assisted with a fat-soluble antioxidant like um, the alpha-lipoic acid. Vitamin D is critical in multiple sclerosis as well. I yeah, I, I, I know that. And uh, Okay, so then I will continue taking the alpha-lipoic acid, and you said uh, the high dose would be, what, 1,200 milligrams? 1,200 to 1,800 milligrams is what has been in studies. Okay, and then there would be no contraindication if I would take... Um, um, that's uh, getting into too much detail. You're going to have to look that up. Okay. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. So, well, it looks like we're getting to the end of the show here, Dr. Harvey. You got anything you want to tell us about next week? Um, actually, next week is the 4th of July, I believe. And um, I'm going to be out of town, but I'm going to be on the show. And I haven't decided what I'm going to talk about. But um, we'll have a schedule for the next couple months together here before we talk again. And uh, I'm even ha have it out to you, Bill, bef before the end of the week. <laughs> well, I'm excited for it. And I look forward to whatever it is you bring on up for next week. And on behalf of the show, I thank you, Dr. Harvey, and all of our participants, and everybody, stay healthy. You've been listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WNF Tampa. Seconds Hawaii is five minutes of NPR news, and that will present Sustainable Living, hosted by the award-winning team of Kenny Coogan and Andy Yellis. Joining the dynamic duo today is Ann Yazalonis, and she's here to tell us about backyard conversations. Next Monday at 10 a.m., thank you for supporting and listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa, your community-conscious radio station. Stay safe, stay thoughtful, and know that you are loved.